Guys, I'm sitting today with Rich Mulholland, and for those of you who've been living under a rock, you may not know who he is, but I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of yours, Rich. Do you want to introduce yourself very, very quickly? Who are you to those who have no idea? Thank you so much. I'm super stoked to be chatting to you today. So my name is Richard Mulholland. I am an entrepreneur and speaker. I started a presentation company called Missing Link more than half my life ago. So I'm 46 years old now. I started it when I was 22. And I help people suck less in public for a living. That's amazing because it's completely related to our topic. So today I am pinging your brain about why CEOs need to be speakers. Now I've got a lot of views about this, but before I launch into mine, why don't you give me yours? Why should CEOs be public speakers? Why should they bother? Well, I mean, there's a number of there's a number of reasons. I think one of the one of the ones, at least, they should be presentable and should be speakers to some degree. Is that the the difference between a leader and a manager for me is your ability to communicate. There's this notion that we talk about great leaders. You know, great leaders listen, and you know, a leader is a listener. And and I think that's somewhat true. But they listen, they process, and then they present back. Leaders lead. They lead loud. And I think the greatest CEOs have to be out there having opinions about things that that changes their business, that changes their market, and changes their customers. And if you are a CEO, if you're a CEO without vocal visionary opinions of what's going to change in the world, then you're technically a CEO. You're worried about the operational growth of your business, not about what's going to change in the world. And if you want to be out there changing the world, the best way, you know, of course, to do it is to lead that charge. And I think stages are great places to do that. I also think stage is a great place to market your business and to amplify your authority. There's very few times where people will listen as actively to you as when you're delivering a keynote at a, at a big event where people will literally hang on to every word that you say and uh, take you as, as if you're delivering it from a position of authority. Being on podcast is great and it's a, maybe just one step below that, but there's something about being the keynote speaker at a big event and being a thought leader and sharing your ideas. And I think it's an unfair advantage for the CEOs that do it. I, 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 I would suggest that you can absolutely be a CEO and not be a speaker, but I think the ones that do speak have an unfair advantage. Um, and, and as somebody who is a public speaker, so you're somebody who literally puts this into practice. Did you become a public speaker just because there was so much coming out of you or because you saw the value in it? So why did you become a public speaker and how has being a public speaker benefited you? I became a public speaker for the same reason that I became an entrepreneur is that I was frustrated. So I started a presentation company because I was a roadie who was frustrated by bad presentations when I was working with corporates. And I started speaking because I fell in love with the concept of Seth Godin's book, Purple Cow. And I kept on trying to write keynotes for other presenters to deliver uh, this, this content. And I'd be frustrated by how they did it. And I was coming up with a, a concept for one of our big banks. And I realized Purple Cow was the right thing to do. And I just didn't want to let somebody else mess it up again. So I said, I'm going to deliver this talk. I, I delivered it. I got Seth Godin's permission and blessing to do it as well. And I went out there and I presented it and I realized, hey, I really enjoyed this. And then, uh, then two weeks later, I was asked to speak at the same company's marketing conference doing the same talk. And then I was booked to speak at the launch of their vehicle and asset finance division. And that was a whole roadshow. That was like 10 talks. And then the next thing I knew, I was a speaker. Wow. It changed my business fundamentally because, uh, you know, as a speaker, you earn money two ways. You earn your money for your talk. You get paid to show up. But more importantly, you earn your money from your talk. So when I get off the stage, people want to engage. They want to come up to me and say, hey, I know that you just spoke about this and shared with me these three to five things I can do to, you know, be better at speaking like a leader, but I need your help. 
And what I've discovered is that people are busy or lazy or both. And when a speaker goes and gets on the stage and shares the idea and gives you the entire recipe, most audiences still want to approach you afterwards and ask you if you can cook, the, cook it for them. And that's where we make our money. So stage marketing has been the primary form of marketing for Missing Link uh, for the last and I would say the last five years, even though I've been a speaker for 18 years, I got way too caught up in my ego and my own self-importance talking about all different topics uh, that weren't related to what I did uh, on a day-to-day -day basis for a while. I lost my way and, uh, you know, I uh, brought myself back into check. I realized that I needed to get off my soapbox and get disciplined. And uh, I started focusing more on the topic of what we do. And it's been the best thing I've ever done. I had exactly the same. Wait, that felt like a confessional. <laughs> I forgive you. So drink you. three <laughs> martinis. And <laughs> um, I had exactly the same experience. I, I, but I'll, I'll say for a shorter period of time, for about a year or two, I was going around giving all these talks and all these keynotes. And I, and I had this epiphany. I was using, because I've got three brands. I've got um, Shift One Digital, which is my digital marketing agency. I've got um, the Digital Marketing Academy, which is a pop-up training company. And then I've got my own brand, Dylan that. And I was giving everything under the Dylan Colstad brand real, without realizing, wait, I, I want the leads for shift one. And so just shifting my PowerPoint presentation from the DK brand to shift one, and then just giving myself the clear mandate, what, am I, what do I want to sell more of at shift one? This talk has to be about that. <laughs> it's so simple, but I literally went and changed that and it, and it fixed the problem. Because for two years, I got no leads through any talks, not even a one. And, um, and I am a business owner, I am an entrepreneur, and I do give talks to, because I love to share knowledge, but also because I, I realize that it's a great form of leads. But it's easy to understand why that happened to us. I'm impressed that you figured it out much quicker than I did, is that you go onto a stage and you speak and people cheer and they think you're so clever and you don't want to be, you've got lots of ideas. So you yeah. don't want to just be clever at one thing. You want to be clever at lots of things. But that's the problem with most speakers is they become the noise to their own signal. They distract the audience. They have so many good ideas and so many great thoughts. That's what makes us entrepreneurs that we share them on a stage, but then our audience doesn't know where to, to put us. Mm. And there's a lot of talk about thinking outside the box, but actually they've got to be able to find the box. Like they've got to know exactly when to phone you, when to call you. Mm. And I realized that, that, as soon as I dialed in my message and instead of trying to get uh, go outside and, and go broad, I wanted to get broad in the narrow area of authority that I have. So instead of me looking outside to find more interesting things to do, I try to dig deeper and deeper and deeper and now find more about the arts and science of presenting, how speaking can, can help you focus your business, how you can drive revenue from stages, how you can do these things. Um, before, when I kind of turned my nose up and thought nobody wants to hear about this, I've now discovered that people do mm. and people want to be good at it. Mm. But yeah, as I said, it, it really took me getting my ego in check and, and uh, stopped getting too excited about my own self-importance. Look, and, I think if, yeah. you, if you weren't an entrepreneur and had other businesses, it would be great if, if you were just a speaker because I've been to your talks and they're amazing and you are fabulous and you can speak on any topic <laughs> and you, can, you wow the audience. And I'm going to stop giving you a bigger head than you already have. But you have <laughs> companies and you want to earn. And yes, you can earn from, I suppose, from your talks alone. But I, I don't think that's enough. And I also think it's important to be in a business because I think maybe that that makes your talks better because you actually have got some, uh, you know, you're invested in a business and it can fail or succeed. So it gives you a bit more edge than just being a professional speaker, maybe. I don't know. 
which is you get paid so much more for every talk you do. So, and I mean, I'm not sure the, the numbers aren't finished for last year, but the year before I did six figures in US dollars for speaking, but I did seven figures in conversions for missing link. Wow. So being, being a speaker was fine, but where I really made my money mm. was if I went out there and spoke, I have a, a fairly okay rate that I charge for. So if I go out there and I speak for that, it makes uh, one unit of money. But mm. if one person comes up and hires my business afterwards, that mm. doubles it or triples it or quadruples it, depending on the size of the job. Mm. So I was leaving 50% of the budget on the table. And again, also, because we're the kind of organization that, that is pretty good at retaining our clients for you know a number of jobs, three, four, five jobs, it wasn't even the relationship of one-to-one one wasn't true. It was one-to-five or ten. Yes. And as soon as I realized that, it was just not even worth it. But actually, yes, absolutely. I just realized that I have an air of authority. Any CEO, your clients, my clients, they all have areas of authority or they mm. should have. And if they don't, if, if you're sitting there and you're the CEO of a company, and you're not sure what your area of authority is, then, then now you know you need to be on a, on a stage because you need to figure that out fast. You've got to work out, like, what do I want to have an opinion on that's different, that's unique? So true. And that is not an easy thing to actually sit and dissect, especially when you're a bit of a generalist and passionate about a whole bunch of topics. And you actually have to sit down and say, okay, what specifically am I going to yeah, niche myself up or at least start off my speaking journey on that's what I like to do is I like to create sort of also um, seasons so this season I'm speaking about this and this season I'm speaking about that and it doesn't have to be just this one topic but for now let's just pick one topic own it become a master of it and niche present present yourself as that and then you can always just expand it later sorry as that grows and as you get through so you've gone through your spring summer winter once you get to your autumn whatever it is you've also got those other talks so if there's another customer that has it you have you can still go back into your archives and pull this up because right for that objective but i think that's great what most speakers do wrong most ceos is they get invited to speak at a marketing event and then they ask the customer what the brief is, they'll tell them. And then they, they, every time they speak, they have to write a brand new talk. You mm. should never have to do that. Mm. When somebody asks me to speak, I work out which of my current talks is right for what they need to do. Mm. And in your case, you have a season. So you want to say, well, actually, I'm speaking right now about this. Uh, I think this yeah. is a really, really good topic for this topic for uh, uh, this this time frame. What do you think about that? And chances are with a tiny bit of tweaking, it will fit. Yeah. Mm. So I, I agree because it takes a really long time to actually finesse a talk, you know. So if you go and create custom totally. talks every time, that's all you'll be doing. Yeah. So, yes. And in fact, the first time you deliver a talk is like the first pancake. It's never the best one. <laughs> so why anyone would want you to deliver a talk for their audience first that is crazy. True. Right? They should want me to deliver a talk that I've delivered four or five times already and I've got the recipe for that talk dialed in. That's true. I like that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so for our audience and our CEOs watching, where do they start? What's a good point, place, a starting place, a point for them? Well, they need, to, they need to figure out where they want to speak, which audiences they want to talk to because there's, there, you always have two audiences, the audience you want to speak to and the audience that will pay you. The intersection between those two is amazing. So when you can find somebody that you want to speak to that will also pay you, then you're and and they can either pay you with a fee or for many CEOs being paid with attention is enough. So the right industry events. The first base is deciding which stages you want to speak on, not which stages will have you. So most CEOs are reactionary. They kind of wait until somebody approaches them and asks to speak instead of reaching out and saying, hey, I've got this new keynote and I'd love to speak about it. Mm. 
Mm. So that's the first thing is, is sit down with your marketing people or whoever is in your business and work out. If I had to speak on five stages this year that could drive the most impact through our customer base or help us grow our business the most, what would those be? And then you've got to decide and go out there and, and get those stages. Once you've worked out where you want to speak, then you've got to work out what topic do you want to earn. Now, if you're in digital marketing, that's what I would refer to as a top of the funnel topic. So digital marketing is, is way up here on the high end of the funnel. You want to have something that would go maybe further down a little bit, uh, a little bit lower, a little bit more niche. So it could be digital marketing for restaurant owners or it could be a, a different topic within that. But they have to figure out what is the area, the corner of the world they can own. I always talk about Stopforth's law. Uh, it's an entrepreneur in Joburg called Mike Stopforth. And uh, Stopforth's law basically says any area that lacks an expert, whoever puts their hand up first becomes it. And uh, Mike Stopforth did that in the area of blogging and, and basically the early days of digital marketing in South Africa. There were no experts. So he said, I'll be it. And everyone said, sure, why not? And became it. And you've got to look for that area where you can embrace the power of Stopforth's law, where you can say, well, Within my field, nobody is really having an opinion on this one thing. That's what I want to have an opinion on. And you've got to try and explore that. Even just going through that is, is worthwhile because it helps you not just direct your presentation, but what you're going to be talking about, what you're going to be engaging with your customers about. You know, you want to narrow the playing field. And, and so that's one of the things you would do. Once you then have that, then you've got to start working on your content and your talk. We have various tools for uh, how you can deliver that and how you can get it dialed in. But um, if, in fact, if you want to see our basic structure, if you go to msng.wtf forward slash Trello, you'll find a Trello board that actually has the building blocks of a good presentation and some tutorial prompts that you can download and use to start uh, building your presentation uh, for free. But this is what you have to try to figure out. And then you've got to make sure that when you get on that stage, you respect people's attention. And that at the end of the talk, you turn their audience into your audience. So most, most people, when they get onto a stage, don't realize that the job doesn't end when the mic drops. The job starts then. The stage is just about building the frame. And then afterwards, you've got to utilize that. And so you've got to be presenting intentionally with the idea of how do I harvest this audience? And that's not in a salesy, over-the-top, pushy way. It's in a way that these people are like, holy crap, I want to learn more. And you've got to figure that out. So what if you're not a good speaker? What if you're just not charismatic? What if you're terribly shy? What if you're suffering from crippling humility, which I think most South Africans have like, oh no, my, you know, what would all my Facebook friends think? I'm going to think I have this big head. And Yeah, crippling humility is probably the biggest of those problems or imposter syndrome. That's without a doubt the biggest uh, problem that we face. Uh, I am with... I've, I don't think I've ever met somebody that's more of an introvert than me and less of a people person. And yet I'm out there speaking on stages all the time. I, really? Uh, so so I, that... Oh, you take it very well. Really? Yeah, I really, really... Uh, this entire holiday, every time anybody did anything, my wife went out there or my kids did stuff, I stay at home and I read a book. Like that's 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 my thing. Or I play a board game. I play lots of solo board games. But... So that's not a thing. The second thing is ability. Ability is overrated when it comes to speaking because it's not about how well you can speak. It's about how well you can write. And I don't mean literally write the script, but I mean structure the script. You write a good talk before you design one, before you deliver one. I've seen amazing speakers deliver talks that are forgettable in seconds. They have all the intellectual value of a spoonful of sugar. You loved it while you were there. You laughed at all the funny bits. You thought it was funny when they dropped the F-bomb. Everything was hilarious. And then afterwards, you were like, I didn't really get anything. 
And on the flip side, I've seen talks with intellectuals who are struggling to come across as, as eloquent and erudite. But the way that they have structured their story, they got you on a hook at the beginning and you're willing to do the heavy lifting to listen through everything they're saying. And by the end of it, you're completely enthralled and you could have listened to them for ages. So it's not about your ability to speak. It's about your ability to structure a sound narrative. For us, it's always, it's always the same format. First, you want to give somebody a reason to care. You buy their attention. Then you give them a reason to believe. Then you tell them what they need to know. And then you tell them what they need to do. You call them to action. And if you work in that format, you'll be able to get people, as long as you've bought their attention at the beginning by giving them a big enough reason to care, show them a dragon that they need to slay. Mm. Well, then you're going to have them to the end of it. But yeah. again, your, your biggest problem is the one that you, you said at the end, this crippling humility. Oh, but nobody's going to want to hear from me. And what I can't put myself out there. Tall poppy syndrome, all of those things. Imposter, uh, get over yourself. Okay, this is, you're a CEO. We're talking to CEOs here. You, if you didn't want to be in a position of leadership, you shouldn't have taken a job in the first place. Uh, you've actually just got to step up and do the work. Your yeah. business needs it and your people need it. Your business at a time like this right now, your people need to believe that they're yeah. being led by somebody who's out there on the forefront. And this gives your staff a reason to believe. So yeah. I don't think you have permission not to. Unless, of course, you have to. I mean, it's your business. You can do what you want. But I really yeah. do believe you've got to find it within yourself. But for this tall poppy and imposter syndrome, you probably shouldn't have taken the job mm. or started a business if you weren't willing to put yourself out there. So let this be the litmus test. And, and I think it's not just about public speaking. It's like you're saying, and um, it's about your staff following you and creating content. And, you know, especially for CEOs of big companies, you've got 2,000 staff members, you've got, you know, 8,000 staff members they, you know, once a year, once a quarter, having a presentation where you're sitting up and they interview you and you talk to the screen isn't enough. It's almost like, how do you create a bond? How do you show how you're living the values? It's about using video as a medium and a mechanism to communicate with your staff. And it's not just, I think, about the, the one-off talks, but it's like taking that narrative through the company on an ongoing basis and seeing it as... Um, this is not just for outside. It's a tool that can be used in very much internally, you know? Well, I feel that's something you've done so well. Like you've been putting yourself out there speaking. Your people get to, to see you leading thought. You know, remember, leadership is not a, is not a, a mantle you give to yourself. It's a, it's, a, it's a decision made by people that decide to follow you. By virtue of people wanting to follow you, they're a leader. Being a boss, that's, that's something. Being an owner, being a CEO, that's a job title. But there are many, many CEOs who are, who are bosses but not leaders. And there are many, many leaders who are not bosses. And you've got to give people that reason to believe. And I think you do that so well. You're out there, you're sharing opinions, you're sharing ideas, you're doing things, and your team must sit there and think, yeah, you know, Dylan's, Dylan's on this. And, and that's what it has to be. And that's the great thing about me being a public speaker is it doesn't just help me uh, give my, it doesn't just give my customers a reason to believe. It makes my staff feel like they made a right decision uh, coming to work for this mm. person because this person's out there on the forefront of opinion in their mm. field. And where yeah. would you like to be? That's what we always sell on our, our, our team on. It's like, guys, we want to be the world's leading authority in presentation thinking. So in the Olympic Games of presentations, if there was an Olympic game of the, your career, uh, we believe that our business has a chance of being an Olympic gold. Now, that's what I'm selling. That's what I'm selling to my staff, that we want to be up there at the top of it. 
And but they, you know, if I didn't have an opinion, I wasn't out there challenging thinking, challenging norms, bringing new thoughts to it. Then it would be very, very tough for them to believe that this was actually the case. That's true. That's absolutely true. I suppose if we stand for moving the needle on digital marketing, social media, turning your fans into brand ambassadors, it's something that you do need to showcase yourself. Um, when I started the journey of personal Absolutely. branding, I kind of was like, oh, let's just see what happens. <laughs> and, um, and I was also like very intimidated about it. My first talk, I, it, was, it was a disaster, but, uh, but it was the beginning and it got easier and it, you get better. And with everything, the more you practice, the better you get. But um, I think, um, so, so what are some of the resources that people could reference in terms of the, the journey? I know you've got this amazing academy, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so we've got a few things for us. I've written a book on presenting and public speaking called Boredom Slayer. You can get it at boredomslayer.com. We have an academy at Missing Link where we can actually train you to speak in terms of actually just presentation to, uh, tips, designing presentations and things. And for those who want to take it a bit more seriously, we have our Story to Stage program. That's storytostage.co. And at storytostage.co or story to stage, what we do is we actually help you build your speaking engine. So how you turn public speaking into something that will really, really, really gain traction. That you speak, you, you got a topic that's dialed in, you own an area of authority, you build momentum, you keep it working, and actually you get it going that you're booking more regular gigs, but more importantly, those gigs are turning into business. And in fact, you so kindly became one of our guest mentors on the program, which is Awesome, and thank you for that. So that, there, what we're trying to do is to work with entrepreneurs who realize the power of stage marketing and how it can impact on their business. It's a 12-week program. We'll take them through and uh, really try and get that engine turning. Because mm -hmm. again, that's, that's what I found that I really struggled with. I, I thought writing a good talk was enough. Yeah. But a talk is, is like a, a beautiful autumn leaf lying on the forest floor. Uh, it's completely and utterly lost amongst all the other autumn leaves. And you've got to find a way to, to make it, to differentiate that. And, and mm -hmm. that was something I really, really struggled with. I thought the product was always going to be enough. But it turns out there's a lot of good speakers out there with lots of good messages. So mm -hmm. we need to be thinking a bit more about that. So that's yeah. where we can engage. I would obviously suggest that you do things like uh, Petra Kutcher or Ignite Talks. These are short form talks to go out there, put yourself up to do a TEDx talk. I think I've done three or four TEDx talks and I've spoken to the main stage of TED once. Like put yourself out there, like just put your hand up. And of course, at industry events, the, you know, Duke Ellington, the jazz musician, he said, I don't need time. What I need is a deadline. Put yourself out and get booked for a gig and then shit yourself enough to do the work. <laughs> it's so true especially if you're an entrepreneur, you've got so much you're busy doing and totally. you end up yeah, doing nothing that is important. So I completely agree with you. Um, Jump so off the cliff and build a parachute on the way down. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's my motto. I'll sell the product and then I'll work out how to deliver it once I've got my first client. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So tell me just in closing, what are your top podcasts, top books that you're reading? Any closing inspiration? Uh, top book at the moment. And I think I'll probably say this. I've not even finished it yet. I imagine I will still say this a year from now. And it is Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. Really? It is so good. I've what? just, first of all, I'd recommend you listen to it in audio because he narrates it. 
And second of all, I would suggest that as soon as you finish, you do what I'm going to do, which is then get it on my Kindle or a hard copy and, and read it again with a highlighter because the book is so smart, but he, he weaves the nuggets in so elegantly that they almost pass you by and you think, oh, this is just an actor guy. It's one of the smartest books I have um, read in ages. Yeah, I'm absolutely enamored with it. I think it's just phenomenal. Really, 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 really can't say enough good things. Wow. Uh, and then I'm also reading the uh, Almanac of Naval Ravikant, which I'm doing that as my my every more part of my morning reading. So I'm reading three books at the moment. The one is called Your True Home by Chit Nat Han. The other is The Practice by Seth Godin. And the third one is the Almanac of Naval Ravikant, which I probably of those three for me, at least at the moment, is the one that speaks to me the most. Uh, I would highly suggest that. Uh, sure. What else do you want? Oh, podcasts. And most of my podcast listening is uh, board game review sites. <laughs> so, so it's to do with board games and things like that. Uh, I do listen to several others in terms of uh, fitness and, and business and things like that. Let me just see where I suggest. From a, a South African point of view, I actually think Mike Stopforth's uh, podcast is phenomenal. I want to think of ones that, I mean, I could say the Tim Ferriss's and things like that, but I'm sure everybody covers those ones. Uh, the Jeff Lodge podcast is one of the most uh, underrated shows. I'm surprised this guy's voice. I'm surprised he's not more famous as Jeff J E F F Lodge. He does really great interviews, and he's just a he's an he actually specializes. He owns a podcast agency, but he's so good at getting good answers out of people. I think that's absolutely uh, phenomenal. And then just for a little bit of fun, I'd like to suggest everyone listens to No Such Thing as a Fish. Uh, which is just hilarious and incredible. Okay. And then for watching at the moment, uh, we're watching that Lupin show and I'm really enjoying it. It's the French show on Netflix and it's about uh, uh, a gentleman burglar. So that is completely left field, but uh, you know, we all should have time to work less. And in fact, uh, I feel like I should recommend a board game. A board game, two-player board game I'd like to recommend for people is Watergate, a great little two-player deduction game uh, that you should be, or not quite deduction, but uh, a game that's worth getting a hold of and playing against your significant other. My wife and I play that, and I think that's great as well. That's a good idea. I really like that. Yeah, we got Catan, and I haven't yet managed to work it out. <laughs> What? I think it's a. It's, so Catan was like the. No, Catan was like the, the I game. Have. I just haven't been able to master it. <laughs> or more yeah, time you'll figure that out. That was the game that changed games. Oh yeah. What? No. Yeah. Okay, maybe. No, I no, no. It's amazing. Tutorial. I mean, my 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 nine year old played Catan before when she was nine. She's now thirteen. You'll you'll figure out. I promise you, you'll be. It's it's a great game. That was the game that turned hobby gaming into what it is. The reason there's like a thousand games behind me, wow. is because that game changed the way we play. Oh wow. Okay, I'll give it another bash. Thank you so much, Rich Mulholland. You've been absolutely amazing, and it's been inspiring to speak to you as always. And I wish you all the best. And yeah, thanks for your time. <laughs>